Hi, this is Runa and you're listening to the Chainsmakers podcast where we share tips, insight, tools and stories from other Chainsmakers designed to motivate you to become the change you want to see in your world. Make sure you join our Chainsmakers community at runamagnus.com forward slash podcast. And now, this is your time to sit back, relax and enjoy. My guest. Farah Pandit, the author, foreign policy strategist and a former diplomat, a world-leading expert and pioneer in countering violent extremists. She served as a political appointee under the presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And most recently, she was the first ever special representative to Muslim communities, serving both secretaries Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. I had to get Farah on our podcast sharing um, her experience and sharing her view on how can we let go of hate and create a world that is more inclusive. In her book, How We Win, How Cutting-Edge Entrepreneurs, Political Visionaries, Enlightened Business Leaders and Social Media Mavens Can Defeat the Extremist Threat is a must to read if you are interested at all into how to, can we create a world that is more inclusive, sustainable, and magnetic. Have fun listening to Farah sharing her wisdom. All right, Farah, thank you so much for being the guest on our Changemakers podcast. It's such a pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. <laughs> I was so intrigued when I heard about your book, How We Win, how cutting-edge entrepreneurs, political visionary, enlightened business leaders, and social media mavens can defeat the extremist threat. And wow, if that does not speak to me, if that does not speak to you, the what is happening in the world regarding this endless us and them and this ah, just a vision that is... It's just killing us. <laughs> oh, yes, really. It's unfortunate that we have to even be talking about these things. It seems like a normal, rational thing that communities would want to build stronger connections with each other. And here we are in 2019. The world is more divided than ever. There are all kinds of trouble that arises because of this us versus them. Uh, but it also is not just an unpleasant unpleasantness when you're sort of living in your, but there's also now an added element of danger, right? Because yeah. we've seen the weaponization of us versus them. And, and so, yes, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I think talking about these issues is really important. And I think that this first, first opportunity to, to tell my story in terms of what I saw around the world when I was traveling throughout, you know, throughout the globe, when I was at the State Department, I think, I hope, will allow people to get an insight into some of the complexity of situations that are happening and the similarity of the us versus them, you know, rise around the world. Mm, yeah. Why don't we start by the, with the beginning of how did you originally go into this project? And yeah, somehow I am assuming, I'm sorry if I'm assuming here a little bit too much maybe, but it, it feels to me like this was something that, was handed over to you and it's been a, a revolution for yourself as you've gone through this journey. Am I? 
Yes. I like like how you said that. I I would never, no one ever plans a life and a profession, you know, and you certainly don't want to plan something based on something as horrific as 9-11. But when that happened, you know, obviously we think of the world now as a pre-9-11 experience and a post-9-11 experience. And uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, I wanted to serve my nation and, and I came back into government as a as somebody who was an American who is uh, um, you know who is interested in in making sure that you know you you can do all you can when you've been attacked in such a way, but I'm also a Muslim, and so the idea that some terrorist organization was trying to use and define my country that I feel very proudly um, proud about and and my religion trying to define it by their evil ways, I just I knew I had to do more. So I came back into government right after 9/11 and and had and stayed in government in various forms at the White House and at the U.S. Agency for International Development and and obviously at the State Department, where my last position was developed for me by Hillary Clinton, and I was the special representative to Muslim communities, which is a position that was created, you know, for the first time in American history to, to do exactly this, to engage around the world. So that's my path back in. It's it's really, it really came from a position of there's surely more that I can be doing after our country was attacked. I didn't have any idea that I would stay as long as I did, but it was the most provocative moment in time as we were talking about all of these issues around ideology, but also, as you just said, for me personally, really, I learned so much about uh, what was possible and what we can do. And also it opened my eyes to the rise of hate around the world. And it really makes me really feel now that I'm not in government, that the coalitions that we have to build around fighting hate have to come not just, I mean, you know, not just from government. Everybody thinks government's going to solve everything. Government has a role to play and it's an important role. But the rise of extremism, I mean, communities themselves and the private sector needs to do far more to push back against against this ideology. And, and I feel strongly about that, seeing what I saw from 2003 until 2014. Yeah, exactly. In your book, How We Win, you do go through both the, the story behind it, uh, the, you know, and, and what you learned. And not that I, I do really um, want to give you a big round of applause for the book because I think the book is so interesting it tells a story in a way that well, at least I had not um a deep insight on you know I was probably I would assume that I was a bit like uh, a lot of people I you know you knew the you know you knew like the the 10 percent of the iceberg like I like to say you knew <laughs> yes but you didn't really know all the things that were going on underneath the surface and this complexity that that happened. Yeah. What do you see? What are the really the keys that that every single one of us? And I'm saying every single one of us because the things that we say, the the change makers, we talk about. We are empowering humans to become the change that they want to see in their world. Just to give you a context into what I'm what I'm meaning. But what can we as individuals do to stop this or to reverse this or at least build a world that is more inclusive. Yes. 
Yes. It, it, well, first, it's, it's, it's doing exactly what you have just said, which is articulating the world you want to see, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not putting your head down and thinking all these other things don't matter. All of these little things together formulate the ethos, the environment, the air that you breathe in terms of what you want. And I, let's take it away from extremism for a minute and make it just sort of the most basic thing. If you think about perhaps you know, the idea of being more green in a city or, or, you know, even an individual making a difference, how you can't turn a city all of a sudden into a green city. It's individual actions that make that. So there are policies and laws and all that kind of stuff you can do, but it's teaching somebody how to recycle, you know, it's Mm -hmm. making it possible for them to do things. So it's individual actions. And so when I think about the issue of hate and I think about us versus them, your question is essential it is what can I do in, as we live our daily lives to ensure that we are making choices, that it's making choices mm-hmm. on the world we want to live in. It's not responding and saying uh, we want peace or we want inclusion or we want it's what's the choice that you are making to yeah. do that. And yeah. it's not that you have to hold hands every day and wait for a rainbow to appear. And, you know, <laughs> and it's not necessarily that, but it is deciding how you're raising your awareness, what you're seeing around you, what you act upon when something, you know, when there is that conflict of us versus them, even in the minor ways and a line at Starbucks at a, um, at a, you know, as you are walking down the street and you see people, um, you know, cross over because somebody is, uh, you know, is a, of a different race or looks different than you. It's how you talk. I mean, one of the most important things that people don't think about is the language that they use oh, to yeah. describe, quote, the other. And I ask people to really think about that. And I mean, you know, I I can only use, here we are having an interview in English. So, you know, the, the, the choices that you made, make in the English language, for example, many people talk about, and you know, the work that I did was to fight organizations that use the name of Islam to recruit. So mm-hmm. an, an Al-Qaeda or a so-called Islamic State, there are many different, obviously, types of extremism. And we're seeing a rise of white nationalism and white supremacist movement. So there is something to be said about that, too. But really, on the on the piece that I focused on with these types of terrorist organizations, they want you to use language that suggests an us and a them. They want you to say that the West or, or any of their elements are in war with Islam. They want you to, to suggest that Islam is a monolith. That's that. It was, so when you use that kind of language, it helps those kinds of people recruit because they can say, look at what they're saying, look at how they think of you. And we have to be conscious of that, not just because terrorist organizations manipulate words of all kinds, not just presidents but and senators and elected officials, but even regular people. I look at, uh, I'll make it very personal for you. I mean, I remember being in college and in graduate school and using the terminology Muslim world. And I didn't think anything about it. That's what we learned. uh, That's how we studied. It was very normal. It it was normalized. Arab world, Muslim world. We just used that interchangeably and we didn't think about it. But let's think about it for just five seconds, right? There are more Muslims that live outside of the Middle East than in it, right? So so to suggest that all Muslims are, are Arab is obviously incorrect. So why are we using that terminology to describe all Muslims, okay? Yeah. Or yeah. let's take it one step further. Every Arab is not a Muslim. So, yeah. you know, let's, let's think about that too. 
But we'll, let's go one step even further. The terminology Muslim world is so problematic. It's convenient. It's quick. People understand what they think you're saying. But if you just think about it for five seconds, what you're saying here is there is a special world that Muslims live in and it's over there. Rather than saying there are Muslims that live in every part of the world and they're, they're, they're part of our community. So that's one example. It's not the only example, but I want us to raise our consciousness. I want us to be, to use, to choose, to choose to be more inclusive in everything that we do. I love that. To choose to be more inclusive. You know, for as we are recording this, uh, we, the Changemakers, we are planning the month of May, a, the, the month where we are empowering other Changemakers to stand up and be the change. And we are doing it under the, under the tagline, May the Change Be With You. Oh, I love um, that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, as a Star Wars fan and, exactly, and as a human, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah, may the change be with you. And, you know, we, we, we just, one of the things with change is that many people are become really afraid when you talk about change. As is it's something terrible that's going to happen. But we're going to, we want to do this in a, in a fun, light way. But what you're just saying, Farah, is so spot on because one of the things that we absolutely want to draw attention to is our language. Yeah, I mean, you draw up a picture that is so spot on. And that is creating this, just, uh, I don't know, it's a, like a fairy tale in your head, basically. But and another thing that happens when you become more aware of the energy, the energy, yes. Yes. The energy that, that we are giving out, the signals that we're giving out when we say things like that. Um, exactly. It's very powerful. It's very yeah. powerful what you've just said. And giving agency to an us versus them is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. So you can't just build a, a foundation and say, this is what we're doing. This is a mission statement when everything else is missing the, missing the, the key aspects of this, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think you're right. People are afraid of change. They're afraid of things that they don't know. And so there you come back to the question that you're asking about, like, what can every individual do? Well, you know, trying your best to embrace, you know, newness and meeting new kinds of people and doing all that requires effort uh, on everyone's part and, and normalizing that idea of not only being around the same kinds of people that you're always used to and opening that avenue of conversation with, with people who are different, whether it's different on levels of you know, gender or sex, sexuality or race or heritage or whatever it happens to be. It's really going, going all in and, and finding ways that every component, every touch point in the community doesn't suggest an us versus them. That is the only way we're going to be able to see change with the kind of numbers that we're seeing rise right now around the world on hate, the hate statistics are frightening. And so much, much more needs to happen. Much, much more needs to happen. And it has to happen with all of us. It cannot just be one dimension of society. It cannot just be community groups. It cannot just be educators. It cannot just be, we cannot just keep being lazy on hate and suggesting it's somebody else's problem to be able to deal with this. Uh, we have to take responsibility and take and take the actions that even if they're scary that we choose to take because we, we know what we want to see around us. Yeah. 
And remembering as well that everything that we do today or we don't do today, which is just as important, is going to be our legacy tomorrow. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, people, um, people have a very hard time projecting into the future of what could happen if we don't take action now. We did this with the environment. And we are now in a situation that's really at the crisis point, right? Yeah. And, had, and had we been listening, you know, 30 years ago and making change then, little, the kind of change that would have been required, small, you know, efforts that we could have made would have made a gigantic difference. The, the cognition, the, the realization, the understanding of, you know, plastics in this water or whatever, plastic straws, whatever the thing now that people are embracing I look at this and I say, you know, you saw a rise of us versus them on one kind of hate spectrum. Yeah, As if yeah. that wasn't enough, we are now seeing, I mean, we're on the heels of the New Zealand attack. We're now yeah. seeing this, this rise. We're seeing that the groups of white supremacists meet in Finland as a, you know, as a mass entity. Yeah. They are learning from each other. So now we not just, we don't just have groups that are radicalizing young Muslim kids, we're seeing groups who are radicalizing an entire different demographic of young people. Like how many more are we going to allow to have happen before we see the crisis that will be, we will not be able to then, you know, control in, in a way that, that is easy. And, and today, fighting hate to me is really basic. It is a choice that we are making as communities on what we want to be and who we are as humans. Mm. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> so good. This is so good. This is so. I encourage our listeners to go ahead, get a copy of her book, How We Win, and start to think about what is it that you want to be known for? What is it that the legacy that you want to leave behind when you're no longer on the above the green, the green side of the earth? Just remember that. We all have a choice and we can, we, we can choose to say, no, I'm not going to go for this, even though that I'm scared because I don't know, I don't know that person. I don't, I've never seen a person of this color or has this faith or whatever it is, but I'm willing to be curious and I'm willing to explore and I'm willing to give that space in my heart that there's another individual there that should be shining just as much as my, as I should be allowing myself to shine. That's such a wonderful way of putting it. it. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you and, and thank you so, so much. I, I, I'm looking forward to and being part of your movement and, and I thank you so much for including me. Oh, you are, you are a change maker already and may the change <laughs> with us all. I, I agree. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Speak later. Bye. Was this podcast of value for you? I sure hope so. If so, feel free to share the love and give us your generous review on iTunes or Stitcher. And remember that you can always go to runamagnus.com to find out more about the change makers and how we can help you drive the change you want to see in your world.